Welcome to Into the Verse, where we share new and unexpected insights about the Parsha, diving deep into the verses to uncover the Torah's own commentary on itself. Hi, I'm Ari Levison, one of the scholars here at Aleph Beta. Lech Lecha begins the great saga of Abraham. And there's something about these Abraham stories that I've always had a hard time understanding. You've got all these short little vignettes, and they just seem so disconnected. God appears to Abraham, says, leave your home behind. You're going to start a great nation. Then he hangs out in Egypt for a little bit because of the famine. Sarah is almost taken. Then they leave Egypt with lots of wealth. There's a fight between the shepherds of Abraham and the shepherds of Lot. Meanwhile, God pops in and promises Abraham that he'll have land, he'll have children. It's all going to be wonderful. But didn't God already make those promises? Why is God repeating it? And then we get a detour into ancient Mesopotamian military history. There's this war between the four kings and five kings, and Abraham gets involved. Then Abraham goes into a deep sleep and hears about Egypt. Meanwhile, he gets this promise again, land and children. And that's all just in Parshat Lechacha. I mean, what's going on here? Each piece is very nice in and of itself, but it's hard to see how they weave together to tell a larger story. It just feels like a bunch of disconnected vignettes. But in this week's episode, Rabbi Foreman argues that these aren't just disconnected vignettes. There is a core theme that wends its way through all the Abraham episodes. And that theme is legacy. I'll let Rabbi Foreman elaborate on what exactly this means and how it transforms how we read the Abraham story. Rabbi Foreman is going to start at the beginning of the Abraham story, which most people think begins with God saying, Lech Lecha. But actually, it starts even earlier than that. It starts with the six concluding verses of Parshat Noach, verses that everyone tends to overlook. Here is Rabbi Foreman. Look at those six verses at the very end of Parshat Noach. At first glance, they don't seem to be telling you anything remarkable. They seem to be just a mix of travel trivia and who married who and what happened. But if you look at them carefully, something crucial happened. Avram was one of three brothers. Avram, Haran, and Nahor. And then Haran dies, young, in the lifetime of his father. And immediately after that, Avram seems to lead Nahor in a great act of kindness. He and Nahor take wives the daughters of Haran. Now, this evokes a law much later on in the Torah, the law of Yibum, of Leverite marriage, which says that when a man dies childless, it's a mitzvah upon the brother to marry the widow of the deceased and have children, and those children will perpetuate the name of the deceased. Here, too, it seems like something like that is going on. Not exactly the same. In real Yibum, you would marry a widow. In real Yibum, there would be no children. But it sounds like Yibum. It has that sort of quality to it. He's trying to keep alive, to expand, to magnify the threatened legacy of Haran. So he and Nachar marry the daughters of Haran, and the children that they have will continue the name of Haran. It's a kind of sacrifice that Avram is making to be concerned about the legacy of his brother, the shame of the name of his brother. All of this is especially important because it comes right after the Tower of Babel. The central sin of the Tower of Babel also had to do with legacy. Naseh lanu shame, the tower builders said. Let us make a name for ourselves. But it was a narcissistic attempt to make a name for ourselves. The tower is our name, it's all our legacy, and when you build a name for yourself, and that's the only thing you care about, it just crumbles in on itself. It's building a name for another, that's the magic, and that's what Avram is about, perpetuating the name of his threatened brother Haran, who died young. 
God after the tower, says, that's what I need. I could use somebody like that. And Avram has chosen to build a nation that's devoted to this great ideal, to worry about the shame of a brother, to bring God's name into the world. Avram's greatness is that you've shown the ability to not be narcissistically self-focused. I like that. I'm going to make your name great. And therein lies the central tension in Avram's life. His mission is devotion to the threatened name of another. And yet his promise is, I'm going to make your name great. How do I balance this? And the question of legacy is now front and center. Where will this legacy come from? One of the things that messes us up sometimes when we read the Bible is that you already know what's going to happen. You know that he's going to have this child, Isaac, it's going to be miraculous and all that. But God did not tell Avram that at the beginning. All he said was, you are going to be the father of a great nation. He's 75 years old. His wife is infertile. Both of them are well past childbearing age. What exactly does this mean to Avram? The truth is, it doesn't necessarily mean that Avram's going to be the biological father of the nation. He never said you're going to have a child in the beginning. George Washington was the father of a nation too. Not the biological father of the nation. We revere him as one of the forefathers, his vision of the nation. So if you're Avram, maybe it's just uh, you're going to be a charismatic person. And if you actually look, that explains something. Because in the very beginning, what does Avram do when he leaves? He takes Sarai, his wife, Ah, he does have somebody who can carry on his legacy. That somebody is not actually a biological child, but it's his brother's child. And Lot grows up in his household. Plus, there are also capital resources. He's got stuff. At the beginnings of a nation, you gotta have a nascent economy. So he takes all of his stuff with him. Plus, he's got other people too, who traveled with him. So he's got the beginnings of a nation. That's his picture. We know it's not gonna happen that way. But does he know it's not gonna happen that way? Now let's fast forward a little bit. There's a famine in the land. Avram goes down to Egypt. He comes out with great wealth. Avram kaved ma'od ba'mikna ba'kesef ba'zav. He's really a rich guy now. So stop. If you're Avram in it now, what are you thinking? Boy, this is really going well. You know, God promised I was going to be this nation, and I've got all this wealth. I've got my trusty lot with me. We're good. What happens next? Trouble on the horizon. Gam lot ha'olechet Avram ayatzonu ba'karvo'ali. Lot's also kind of wealthy. And then a dispute erupts between the shepherds of Lot and the shepherds of Avram. They had so much stuff they couldn't sit together in the land. And at that point, Avram tells Lot, we've got to go separate ways. You go your way, I'll go my way. Lot chooses at Kol Kikar Hayardain, the Jordan Valley. He pitches his tent in stone. The people of stone were terribly wicked in God's eyes. Why do I need to know that now? Whole chapters later, that becomes relevant when the city of stone is in fact destroyed. But why do I need to know now that the people of stone were wicked? Because that's telling you something about the story now. It is important for you to understand 
that Lot chose to go to a place where there were terribly wicked people. What does this do to the plan that Lot is going to carry on Avram's legacy? The nation is going to come through him. Not only are these men not together, but where is Lot now? He's in the most wicked place on earth. Interestingly, at this very moment, Vashem Amar al-Avram, and God said to Avram, After Lot left, notice the emphasis on the text, after Lot left, after Avram was willing to let go of Lot, lift up your eyes, and look where you are, north, south, east, and west, at the whole land that I'm going to give you, I'm going to give it to all of your children forever. Expansion in space, expansion in time. The promise has been deepened. Why? Avram has acted with great faith. God has promised him that he's going to be the father of a nation, but where is it going to happen? His plan isn't working out. It's not going to be through Lot, right? He's just trusting God. So God says, I love you. You're really trusting me. But don't worry, we're on this great magical journey together. It's going to work out. Then we get to the War of the Four Kings and the Five Kings. It's not about ancient Mesopotamian history. It's about the story, the development of Avram's nation. Because word gets to Avram, Lot has been taken as part of this war. Avram, through the help of God, succeeds in vanquishing the opposing armies and plucking Lot out of Armageddon itself. And at that moment, if you're Avram, what are you saying to yourself now? Remember, you do not know the end of the story. You say, Baruch Hashem, look at the Hashkacha, look at the providence. I let go of Lot, but really it was only because I was going to get Lot back. I see the hand of God. He helped me win this war. God, thank you so much for giving me Lot back. Now I get how we're going to have this great nation. And then what happened? The king of stone comes to Avram and says, Tenli Hanefesh, Baruchush Kachlach. You know, let's divide up the spoils over here. You can take the stuff, but give me all the people. And that's it. All the people, including Lot, go with the king. And Lot is out of Avram's life for the very last time. Can you imagine a more devastating thing? You saw the Hashkacha, you saw the providence only to have the door slam in your face. And at that moment, God speaks to Avram one more time. Achar hadvarim ha'ela, after these things, hayadvar Hashem al-Avram, God comes out of the clouds and tells him, al-tira Avram, don't be afraid, it's all going to work out fine. Anochi magen harbe ma'od, your reward is beyond measure. But now, Avram has like reached a breaking point. Listen to the words he says. Hashem Elohim, my Lord, what can you possibly give me? I don't have any children. The only one I have left is what? My servant Eliezer from Damascus? Like, this is it? We're down to Eliezer? Then Avram speaks again and says the same thing as before. You didn't give me any children, God. You say I'm going to have this reward. What's it going to be? It's down to my servant. Is this really where we're at? And then God comes to him and says for the very first time, It's not going to be him. Those who come from you biologically, they are going to be the ones who inherit you, you old man, you're going to have a child. 
It's the first time Avram gets this news. That realization that they will have a biological child is a turning point in the story. It sets up the next great series of chapters in Avram's life. One reason I love this episode is that Rabbi Foreman dares to ask just about the biggest question you could ask in the Abraham story. Why did God choose Abraham? It's something that the Torah never tells us explicitly, but it turns out that by the time God tells Abraham Lech Lecha, he had already proven himself to be the man God was looking for. In those six preceding verses, we are introduced to Abraham, but it's not the universalistic Abraham we come to know later on. Before any of that, Abraham performed the greatest act of kindness towards his dead brother, and God knew he was the man for the job. And this question is about far more than one man. Essentially, we're asking what kind of nation God expected Abraham to found. Rabbi Foreman reveals that God's chosen nation was founded on, of all things, the principle of yibum, of brothers who take care of one another, who provide for the other when they are not able to provide for themselves sometimes even at great sacrifice. That same principle is at the very heart of Judaism today. Before anything else, this basic principle of brotherly love and responsibility is what defines us. Good morning. I spent the past week listening to uh, your introduction to Kabbalat Shabbat. It was brilliant. It literally kept me up at night. Have a good Shabbos. Love your website. Want to check out the course that Sarah is talking about? With a paid subscription to alephbeta.org, you too can access that course in addition to our full library of over 1,000 videos and podcasts including our famous animated videos on the Parsha and holidays, as well as in-depth courses on the biggest topics in Judaism. Check us out at alephbeta.org. And when you do, don't forget to leave us your thoughts, reflections, or insights. It's as easy as clicking the link in the description and hitting record. We can't wait to hear from you. This episode was written and recorded by our lead scholar, Rabbi David Foreman. When this episode originally aired on Aleph Beta, it was edited by Rifki Stern. Into the Verse editing was done by Evan Wiener. The senior editors were Daniel Lowenstein and Beth Lash. Our audio editor is Hilary Gutman. Our editorial director is Imus Shalev. Thank you so much for listening.